Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. And welcome back to episode 48 of the Operator Podcast. We'll talk about war, some that I was in, some that generations before me were in. But first, I need to remind you that war has rules. Babies do not. This episode of the Operator Podcast is brought to you by Tactical Baby Gear. Dirty diapers, screaming fits, and sleepless nights. Parenthood is not for the faint of heart, and I know that from experience. Tactical Baby Gear was founded by parents, for parents, with kit that you're proud to carry. You'll overcome every spit-up, blowout, and meltdown along the way. Prepare for wherever parenting leads you with everything cool, like a fully customizable tactical diaper bag that's ready, but be ready because it could and will get messy. Check out the strollers and wagons, largest in-class wheels and adjustable suspension for any adventure that you want to take your baby on. They're highly practical, highly functional, and extremely high quality. Very cool to look at. They're always ready. And there's diaper bags, baby carrier strollers, strollers, wagons, and everything in between, and a lifetime warranty. So go to tacticalbabygear.com and get 15% off when you use the code THEOPERATOR. tacticalbabygear.com, 15% off with code THEOPERATOR. God guns and diapers. Episode 48 is also brought to you by my friends at My Patriot Supply. I can't believe the headlines we're facing in the world today. Everywhere you look, things are falling apart. That's why the smartest investment you can make right now is in your family's food security. The reality is you might not be able to find food when the next disaster strikes. Grocery stores will be empty because roads will be closed and trucks won't be able to make deliveries. When that happens, you need emergency food in full supply. That's why I urge you to grab a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply the nation's largest preparedness company. When you order today, you'll save $200 on each kit you need. Having these kits means your family will stay fed while others stand in food lines. Don't delay. Order your three-month emergency food kit today and save $200 per kit. It's easy to order. Go to preparewithrob.com. Preparewithrob.com. You'll get fast and free shipping to preparewithrob.com. Do this today or you'll regret it tomorrow. Preparewithrob.com. Yeah, so like I said, this is episode 48 of the Operator Podcast. And as always, I appreciate you being with me. I normally release on Wednesday afternoon, but if you saw my um, Instagram feed, uh, just not quite feeling right to be in the chair. Well, not in this chair, and I didn't think that was a proper place to record um, a video. But... This is 48, and uh, as always, I had a plan to talk to you about, uh, you know, just doing some research. I want to try to make sure that I'm right, um, or at least informed, before I bring stuff up. So it's it's uh, it's a lot of preparation and a lot of work, a lot of reading, a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of um, audiobooks because you can knock out a couple birds with one stone, uh, doing whatever you need to do, working on your horrible golf swing, cleaning the kitchen before the wife gets home, but listening to your audiobook, and then obviously keep your uh, computer out to take down notes and the like. And I had a great plan. I, I am going to talk about, um, about June 6, 1944, because this is the week of D-Day, um, just because I think it's important that we see what the greatest generation of not just Americans, but the Allies 
you know, the allies on the West, uh, it was a world war. Everyone was fighting. Uh, and there, you know, D-Day is just the, the D stands for, um, the day that you're, you're going to do an invasion. And, um, D, I mean, D-Day obviously is synonymous now with, with Normandy, but th- there was over a hundred D-Days in, um, in the Pacific with the Marines. So D-Day, there's a, so many great stories, which is which is good for someone like me because I'll be able to investigate and um, and hopefully tell some good stories about stuff that we didn't know about war. I was able to tell some of my war stories recently, um, but again, you're going to run out. And I, I shared a combat, a combat story about borders, the border with Pakistan, Afghanistan, Two episodes ago, it's called Borders, if you hadn't heard it. So it's a border bombing that we got video of from a drone that we didn't know, an unarmed drone that was flying over the gunfight at the time. It's very, very grainy, but it was just, uh, it was one of those um, one of those things where you can see uh, the, I don't know if they call this the Allies or the American Forces or Coalition Forces is what they call this. You can see us getting ambushed on a couple different sides. And that was sustained combat for a number of hours, but it, it, it doesn't hold a candle to... June 6, 1944, in France or any of the um, uh, amphibious landings that the Marines went through in the fight in the Pacific. Um, it's it's interesting. That was that story was I got my first silver star. I got two silver stars total. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just they both involve Pakistan. That's kind of funny that uh, both silver stars for combat were based on a country we weren't even at war with, which goes to tell you where the enemy actually is. A lot of the enemies over there, and we know that. I forgot to tell a part of that story, and it's my wife Jessica's favorite part. When we first, so we're on the border of Pakistan looking uphill at about noon, so the sun's up, and they're surrounding us with a complete high ground. And we're in a bad spot, and we need to get air support, but we can't. And at first, combat is exciting at first. Like when when the bullets are flying and you can hear the cracks, and you know there's going to be a fight. It starts to suck when you think you're going to get overrun, and uh, you're actually thinking, "Do I just save one, one bullet? Because I might need that for myself. Because I'll be damned if you want to uh, surrender to Al Qaeda, or especially Chechens." Um, I mean, it would it would have been better to get rolled up by the Pakistan military and end up in a prison than get rolled up Al Qaeda. Some of the stuff, I don't I don't even want to think about it. Talk about what they do. They did some medieval stuff to uh, captured Russian soldiers, but that's when it starts. To, it goes from excitement to, uh, oh my, my God, this this could be it. We we gotta we gotta win this. I need some help from the Air Force. But at that point, in between excitement and fear, I forgot to say this because uh, I, I just left it out. Um, when the RPGs, the rocket propelled grenades, were getting closer, and so were the bell-fed machine guns on that hillside. Um, we, we did have some Afghans with us. And then part of the reason that we had, they attacked us so heavy is because I'm not even sure if you're allowed to say this because uh, it's probably illegal, but we were all wearing, did I mention this? We were all wearing, um, desert tiger stripe camouflage. So technically that's not a U.S. military uniform. So I don't know which title we were working under, but when they saw us, they didn't see any uh, what they thought were Americans, so they didn't think we had any air power. So that's why they kept trying to overrun us, and they thought they could get us because they did have superior numbers, as far as I could tell, from my position behind behind a rock and a can of dip. But when when it, when it got to that exciting part of the of the fight and the air bursts from the, they they could set their RPGs to air bursts, which are blowing up above you, and you can hear those loud. Uh, one of our our Afghan friends was trying to get the high ground. He was carrying, um, I want to say probably a 240, uh, the old school 60, 762 that we got belt fed, and that, that's going to help uh, at least at least get some lead going in the fun direction, not coming over our heads. He, he kind of went up, there was a knoll next to us, and he thought if he could get on the knoll, maybe even out the, the, um, the distance between us. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> there, there is no worse feeling than having uh, someone send direct effective fire your way and knowing that your bullets probably can't reach them so there's no point in even trying to shoot back but this dude had 762 and he figured he could get some rounds at them and he he went up on the uh he went up on the knoll and he lay down and one of the RPGs slammed in the rock right behind him 
and he he blew off the off the rock. And I remember watching his hat fly in the air. And uh, that that was the point there. It's like, okay, this is serious now. We just lost one of our guys. And uh, weird stuff happens in combat because um, it's very loud and permanent, but sometimes you don't even get hurt. <laughs> this guy was one of those times his hat flew off and he rolled over and he couldn't speak. Uh, I don't think he ever spoke English in his life, but he's sort of dusting himself off and like you can see him shaking it off like he just took a, a right cross to the head. And he, he looked over at me and in his best English, he put a thumb up in the air and just yelled, okay, USA, which again, some comedic relief in combat situations. Um, I brought that up too I, I, because I, I was watching a, um, I was watching TV today, thinking of Afghans and and people that are that find themselves in in crappy uh, situations that nothing nothing was their fault. They're just in a situation where it sucks. And uh, a lot of uh, we we brought a lot of um, not necessarily refugees, but so Afghans to this country to. Um, to repatriate, I guess, to 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 become American citizens, because a lot of them helped us. Uh, a lot, you know, everyone in a combat zone just wants to have a better life. It's and it's 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 um, it's usually, I mean, uh, okay, other than the obvious, but a, a a lot of people are simply fighting because the dickheads in charge made them, and you can quote me on two world wars for that. But it's just the guys in charge and the men on the ground that are fighting. Obviously, there are fanatics now in a new type of warfare that they're true believers um then they know they're right and we know we're right and someone's telling us to go fight each other but one of the guys we brought over i just saw um a thing on television is an afghan he he came over this dude started a business trying to better his life and i guess just like in the first i don't know how long he was in san francisco but he got robbed and i guess they took like i mean robbed not not burglarized that motherfucker got robbed <laughs> like they took like $150,000 worth of merch and, and and cash and what I don't know how well I know how an Afghan can get that kind of cash and it's called being in the government because it, uh, there's a lot of countries including this one where if you're elected a public official you can get rich as shit real fast uh, do, do you ever notice people in um in our congress are, they're the best damn stock pickers ever I think I bring that up quite a bit just ironic you don't. You shouldn't go into politics to get rich. It should be you're rich, and then you get into politics. But anyway, this this Afghan dude uh, in San Francisco, where uh, Gavin Newsom was the mayor, and 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 now he's the, the governor. Um, this Afghan said he he felt safer living under the Taliban, and I'll slow down so you can uh, process that. I felt safer living under the Taliban. And I had a question why that is. I mean, they're um, the Taliban. They're fanatics, but they also. I mean, I know. Look, just because someone believes something you don't doesn't mean it's not true. That's why we should all give each other a fair share. But they're because they're. I mean, you got to figure as far as religion, they're pretty far to the right, but they also believe in law and order, their style, God style, Sharia law, and if you st- like right now in California, Gavin Newsom's California. I think it's illegal to pursue shoplifters. So stealing is legal. Drugs are legal. All kinds of weirdness is legal. But if you pull that shit in in Kabul or Kandahar, they're going to punish you for stealing. But you can't do it in California. Uh, so I brought that up just because this uh, just having an Afghan dude say he was safer in in Afghanistan, which is nuts. I mean, I, I I think it's a bit of an exaggeration. I've been to both, not recently. I was in I was in San Francisco a few months ago. I haven't been in Afghanistan in uh, a while. I don't plan on going back, but um, yeah, that's odd when he when he says that. And then um, thinking about the like the 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 decisions that a lot of people make are simply we talk about it being for personal wealth, personal power. A lot of these people are narcissists. Uh, in in politics, and they love the power because you got to figure. Imagine being in a place where everyone is a yes man, and they just tell you what you want to hear. So you got to think you're right all the time. I mean, guys like Joe Biden, he's been in for five decades in Washington, just surrounded by reporters and people following him, staffers and whatnot. Uh, and you know that's just the. Uh, so I'm watching crap like this. I wanted to talk more. I am going to talk more about uh, D Day Normandy. But so I'm, you know, I'm going to record. Obviously, last night the news comes out that 
uh, former President Donald Trump has been indicted on something like seven counts. And this, t- like, this is the second time I think he's been indicted. He was impeached twice, never convicted. Um, and he's going to go before a judge now. And he's, they're going to get the photo up that no one ever thought in this constitutional republic could happen, but it's going to happen. And that should scare you. And I know you've heard it before that if he can, they can do it to him, what can they do to me? And that's and that's not far off. But I think the problem has started with a lot of these these. This is the two party system, and everyone is so concerned about their party and their government contracts that they stop worrying about the people. They stop remembering that they work for the people. They have how many closed door sessions do they have, and why? We should be aware of what they're saying, what these committees and subcommittees are saying to each other. We we should have a media. The media was supposed to. The media is not supposed to be. Uh, uh, militant left-wing mouthpieces that say the same thing all the time, but they are. And if you're too far to the right, they'll get rid of you. Even at at places like Fox, they'll get rid of Tucker Carlson. They've gotten rid of a lot of people there because you got to toe a lot of the party line. Um, The media is supposed to find out what they're saying and report to you, and then we decide with our votes... Who gets to keep their job and who gets fired? But that, that's not that's not what's happening. And even with um, with the you know the Steele dossier, the fake Russian collusion that we know is fake, um, the the time wasted, the millions of dollars wasted on investigations when we should just be worried about our energy, um, not lying about certain things to maintain political power, keep your party in power, um, worried about not worried but but help helping with the system that creates jobs for Americans that want to work. And a lot of people want to work, but a lot of people don't want to work right now because they've been coddled by the government because the government can just print money out of, uh, out of thin air. And you know, that is how inflation happens. And if you, if you, you know, if you've been living under a rock for a while, you should notice everything from uh, the price of food to the uh, airline tickets, everything, everything goes up, but that's what they should be doing. And it should be that, I've said before that if you're in a room that where everyone agrees with you, then you're in the wrong room. And the way you negotiate is um, you get in the same room. That's why there should be more veterans in, in Congress. I, I don't think I don't. I mean, I say bad stuff about Congress. There's there's good people in Congress, and a lot of the good people are veterans. And a veteran will know that they need to get in a room with the opposite side of the aisle just to talk. I mean, th- they're so bad about they they won't even eat lunch together. I mean, I know they go out and get cocktails once in a while together, but they're not meeting at lunch. They're sitting on one side, and it's Democrat and or Republican. And that's what that's just what it is. And we're seeing this now with um I mean, look at look at the um I mean, even with the weaponization of the FBI. It's pretty odd. I mean, if 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 you have a if you have a willingness to listen to other sides, you, you can see how corrupt this is. And how one-sided it is. If you compare, so they've got this picture of um, these classified folders, or just folders themselves that are labeled TSSCI and classified and all that shit, laying in a, a perfect place for the FBI to take a picture so they can get Donald Trump in trouble. When you blatantly have Hunter Biden's laptop, and I don't care about the dick pics and the hookers and the blow, but the stuff they're doing with um, with with Ukraine and with China and with uh, there's a source they're really trying to cover these sources because sources have a tendency to commit suicide next week. But the, one of the quotes I heard today was $5 million for one Biden, $5 million for the other. And I'm, I wasn't there, and I'm not trying to convict anybody, but it's just so one-sided that this is the, the, the make counter accusations. This is what fascism is. If you can't beat your political opponent, you silence them, and then you have them arrested. That's not the way the United States of America is supposed to work, but it is. Remember, remember, what was that thing back when we all didn't have Apple and you could hit Control-Alt-Delete? <laughs> or, or like in the military when... Um, so I, I mentioned that I was smart enough to carry a gun, I could shoot straight, and I could carry a sledgehammer and mule kick a door, and I knew that if the guy in front of me goes left, I go right. That's as smart as I get. But when I started promoting myself, um, not promoting myself... When I got promoted to a different position where I would need to use the computer, um, you know, uh, what did uh, the yeoman used to make fun of us? They used to call us typer snipers because like you're just doing the one finger jam, typing it up. But sometimes the commu- computers would freeze or whatever. I lock myself out, and you get to call one of the smart guy, one of the one of the tech techs, the technical guys. Because there's there's more to 
uh, SEAL team than just Navy SEALs. You have to have smart people there. And there are a lot of people that do, you know, they take care of our paperwork because Lord knows a bunch of knuckle-draggers like us aren't going to figure that out. The personnel and the yeoman, um, the supply guys, well, they're something they keep a little on the on the extra, but that's okay. But uh, the, the computer guys, the comm guys, those are smart guys. The guys who got, probably have, have jobs out there right now writing code. Really smart people doing really smart, smart stuff. And their office was always next to our office. And the way being a professional... And I, I was a chief petty officer at the time. The way you get a comm guy to come check out your computers, you go, nerds! And then they'd send one in there for you. And the first thing they would do to fix the computer is unplug it. <laughs> and then plug it back in to the point where when I would yell nerds, they'd say, did you unplug it, chief? And I would say, no. They'd be like, okay, do that. And then if it doesn't work, I'll come out there. But uh, the, the whole point I'm making is sometimes you get so corrupt with viruses on computers and in, in the capital, you just need to unplug it at some point. Because the precedent that's being set right now that's disturbing was um, they impeached Donald Trump twice. And now the Republicans are talking about impeaching Joe Biden. And imagine being in that kind of a country where all we do is try to arrest the opponent because we're not good enough to beat him. In an election, that's that's a sad state of affairs, and they're to the point now. Okay, the, how the COVID lockdown was manipulated to get mass voting, and I, okay, I wasn't there to prove this, but I have a fucking brain in my head. Um, the way that, I mean, look look at what the Democrats have done to themselves right now. Okay, Joe Biden is not making the calls. Just watch, and and he falls down, and I think it's I think that's horrible, and, and that does not give me pleasure to watch the president fall down like that. But it also tells me someone in that administration and or family is is guilty of elder abuse because he can't even all he can do is uh, what do he do today when they ask him about all the corruption? He did that big crooked ass smile and said, uh, "Well, where's the money? Well, probably in one of your twenty two LLCs." But he just smiles and laughs. Why aren't you? When they asked him, why aren't you campaigning? It's like he laughed as if he he might just think he was campaigning. But um, the problem is now if you don't have Joe Biden, you have to get Trump arrested because what? You got Kamala Harris. Uh, uh, if she takes over now, she's the incumbent running for the presidency. I mean, there are people behind the scenes that are making calls, but they've painted themselves into such a, a corner that they need to arrest the opponent. I mean, I think personally, and I don't want to get political. I really don't. I just, I, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm an American. And I would vote on an issue. I don't go down the, the party line. And I think people have gotten so uh, distracted from what's actually happened. They forget what Democrat used to mean. And they, they don't care what Republican means, you know, stuff like that. But um, it's, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs that now they have to arrest Donald Trump. And you got guys like Gavin Newsom, who is creaming his pants to be the president of the United States. In his defense, he talks and looks like a president. He's presidential. Good-looking dude, great head of hair, wears a nice suit. And he, like, remember he went to the White House when, um, when President Biden was out, out, of the, out of town to measure the drapes or whatever? He really wants it. But even look at what he's saying because he's, had, he's got a problem with Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida putting, if you haven't seen the footage, of the migrants on the party bus going to... Um, California, I mean, you, you ha you're missing out. That's funny because what, what uh, Gavin Newsom is saying now, and by the way, his policies are the one that California used to have a surplus and now it's billions in debt because of all the ridiculous policies that never, ever work, but they really sound good to voters. I don't know. Um, but uh, he said, because I guess Governor DeSantis, who is obviously running for president, is going to California soon. He's got a trip coming up soon. And what Gavin Newsom is saying is, well, if he lands here and he's broken the law, I'm going to arrest him. He knows that if he stays in the in uh, the Democratic Party long enough, eventually, because um, you know, even if if Donald Trump runs again and wins, that's just four years, um, and then he's gone, and then DeSantis. And I think DeSantis should have just waited this one out because all we're going to get is a bunch of sound bites of of Donald Trump talking shit about DeSantis and the nicknames he makes up or whatever. But Gavin Newsom is already setting the stage for if I can arrest him, I will, because even Newsom knows he doesn't hold the candle to DeSantis because uh, he has to attack him. You notice he attacks him physically. Uh, he talks about him being a little a creepy and he's high. If, if you need to resort to insults, you've lost the argument. And I, hey, hey. Cocktails, Twitter, I insult the fuck out of some stuff, and I apologize if I offended any of you ever. Um, and I apologize for the future. But if, if, if you're, in a, if you're a, a seasoned politician and you need to just start name-calling, and I know what you're thinking, 
Yeah, the Republicans do too. You know, they're, they're maybe, like I said, control all delete. But yeah, Gavin Newsom is threatening to arrest Ron DeSantis, and and this is what um, this is how you spiral into um, into fascism, into communism, which is what a lot of people want anyway. Uh, I, I don't know why. Well, because the the useful idiots at the top think it'll be great, and they'll have theirs, and you know, it always it always hurts the poor man. But that's where we're at with this, and. Um, yeah, it's just uh, the, the politics, they, I think they've always been brutal. I'm thinking back to the movie Lincoln and hearing the, uh, hearing the arguments, even in the movie, that you, it's always been brutal. But back then they would have duels, right? Like you go outside and you can duel each other. But, I mean, even here's the way they spin it. I'm not sure if you remember when we all ran out of toilet paper. It was in the year 2020, if you can bear with me. And we all sat at home. And at first we all enjoyed it. At, we were watching Tiger King, every one of us. You know you did. Awesome. And we were all happy. Then we started to get depressed. And then, you know, people started doing weird shit. And then uh, nobody went back to work. But the, the Biden administration <laughs> released something out on Twitter the other day that said uh, something. Again, spitballing. Don't have any notes on this. Uh, they released some numbers that said uh, job growth by month. And it showed the... F- past few presidents and then for trump it was um negative jobs by month and then biden's was way up and if you stop to figure well in 2020 everybody got fired except in the government i think they got a raise but all the jobs were lost because we can't go outside because uncle sam and the politicians have our 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 best interest in mind they're not at all it's not at all political ideology and then it said biden created this many jobs month well yeah because people went back to work because the lockdown was over because the the manipulation of covid did what we needed it to do we did it joe you know that kind of bullshit but anyway um it's going to be interesting to see what happens i think donald trump's going to go up in the ratings I'm trying not to to uh, pick sides. It's pretty obvious where I am, but it's it's not because of a person, and certainly not because of a party. It's because I love the United States of America, and I I really believe in us. So with these elites controlling uh, the printing of money and uh, just huge bank failures, 186 more banks are at the risk of collapsing, and your bank could be next. Unless the Fed does what they did back in March and print $300 billion out of thin air, making your dollar worthless. Not to mention the recession. They could have a significant impact on your investment and retirement accounts. Take my advice. Protect your financial future with something real. Gold and silver for my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver. Or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. Since the beginning of time, there is only one universal currency that is always of value, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has the highest ratings in the industry, five stars with TrustLink, the AAA rating with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service of Allegiance Gold. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwiththeoperator.com. ProtectWithTheOperator.com. Do it today or give them a call at 844-790-9191. Don't let the uh, Fed play Monopoly with your money. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. ProtectWithTheOperator.com or give them a call 844-790-9191. But back to D-Day. 79 years ago this week uh, was the invasion of France, and th- that wasn't the beginning of World War II. There were, uh, even before the Americans involved, there was fighting in in uh, North Africa between the Italians and um, uh, the Brits were down there, and uh, it was it was basically, I think, in a nutshell, and we'll cover this in future episodes, that was, that was for control of the Suez Canal, the ditch, the... Um, how you get around uh, not going th- th- over the the, the, the the southern tip of Africa. Uh, and it's, it's because, if you can imagine, it was because of interest in some oil over there. If you can imagine, we were fighting wars over shipping lanes for oil. And did you know the Suez Canal is, is one of those, um, it's proof the flat earthers say. I, I am on social media a lot, and I've, I like to follow a lot of different people. But it seems like the algorithm finds out that if you... Um, 
if you like certain stuff, they're going to fill your uh, fill your page with certain things. And for some reason, I, I between shitty golf lessons and uh, conspiracy theories pop up quite a bit. And one of the things I guess the Suez Canal is uh, it's that's that's over a hundred. Is it a hundred miles long? It's a long ditch near Egypt and Jordan and um, Israel. But that's there's no locks like in the in the Panama Canal. There's locks, I guess, from the tide. And I guess they say that that the flat earthers say that's proof that it just goes straight and that there is no there is no rotation of the earth because wouldn't the water all go one place? I guess I've never seen the ocean and the tides, but that's neither here nor there. But there was a World War II was there. We entered officially when um, when Pearl Harbor in Hawaii was bombed, and then we're fighting in, in a couple different theaters. And you know, we had that was like the first. Well, that, that'll be another episode. The first carrier on carrier war was in World War II in the Pacific, and neither ship could see each other. They're all fighting with aircraft, but. Uh, D-Day was uh, June 1944. So we, we only get one day to remember the fallen. That's Memorial Day, and then we get one day to um, remember the veterans. That's Veterans Day. And then but for some reason, everybody else gets – like I'm sure there's National Cupcake Day, uh, there, n- National sh- sh- uh, Hat Day. <laughs> but like most people get a month. Um, but, uh, the fallen don't, they get, they get a day, but I want to explain just to put it in perspective. If you can bear with me, because it's a lot closer to us than, than we think it's time moves. And that's what we all have in common is time keeps ticking. doesn't matter what you're doing. The, the, there's one thing that none of us can do. And that's stop the clock. It's going to keep going. Ask, ask, um, someone that retired from the army after 20, 24 years, how fast did that time go? Boom, blink of an eye. So a lot of this stuff, you know, 79 years ago is, uh, it's a lot. Um, it's it's not as far away as we think. We're not as separated. So I want to give you an idea of the America that the greatest generation fought for in the world. The Allies. It wasn't just America and Germany. I mean, for crying out loud, the Russians were on our team for that one. But uh, to give you an idea, in France, the numbers I got, the Americans deployed right before D-Day to France. So this is going to be everyone, you know, ships company people driving the landing craft, soldiers, uh, paratroopers. There was one million. 527,000 Americans deployed to, sorry, to Great Britain. They're going to launch from there. Fighting on D-Day for Americans, there were 156,115. That's a big-ass army fighting there on, in one, one part. So the parachutes jumped the night before, and then uh, the, the dudes on the ground. 132,000 Americans landed at Normandy. That's a I mean, that's a city full of people right there. The, and so between the allies, between um, us, Canadians, Brits, um, on D-Day at midnight, one full day of fighting, there were 10,500 casualties. And a casualty is, is killed, wounded, missing. And missing is, um, is the one where you got to be realistic. They're not missing they were vaporized and no one ever found any part of them and that's something to think about you know you're a, you're a 19 year old kid from nebraska and you find yourself after a long sickening boat ride to, to the to the to the to england and then all of a sudden you're in normandy and then you vanish and these are all people who had families that loved them and they actually had a cemetery set up an american cemetery set up uh, in france i think within 36 hours to to bury whatever they could find of people. And then the families, once they were notified, they could have the body removed and then buried in the States, probably at a place of their choice, be it Arlington or like the church where they grew up or something like that. So, um, you know, just keep that in mind. This is what a lot of people didn't keep, keep in mind the, 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 the impact this would have on the world. This is a major operation. Overlord was the name of it was a major operation. And we're legitimately fighting fascism. Uh, to, for freedom, so we got everyone involved. So there was uh, the the beaches in France were uh, Omaha, Utah, Sword, Gold, and Juno, and you will hear people sometimes. I've been there. I, I've actually been there. I highly recommend you go there. It's very haunting. There's a cemetery right above Omaha Beach, and some of those, like like we mentioned, that um, people vanish or parts are found. There are are um, headstones in that cemetery that say something like here lies 
a comrade in arms known but to God. So basically, we put some parts in here, and that's God knows who he is. Um, some of the some of the places haven't been touched. There's still the the pillboxes the Germans were using to defend, and just standing on the beach, you can you can tell that something went down there. You, you, it's it's hollowed ground, and there was uh, some amazing stuff that happened, some horrifying stuff that happened. But you, you you'd hear people like even I mentioned this before. We were staying at a hotel near Saint Mary Glise, and we got into um, an elevator with. A dude that had to be in his 80s just a couple of years ago. I was talking to one of my friends, and he stopped and said, "To this day, there is nothing more beautiful than the sound of an American English, just because they still remember that's very that you know Northern France is still they're still thankful for what the uh, the Allies did for them. Southern France, eh, a bit on the dicky side, but <laughs> I love France. Um, so, uh, uh, 10,500 Allied casualties by midnight on June 6th. I've heard people say that so the when the Brits landed on um, Sword Beach and Gold Beach that they were kind of welcomed by the locals and there wasn't heavy fighting. Okay. On Sword Beach on D-Day, 630 Brits were killed. So British losses were 630 on Sword and British losses were 413 on Gold. So that's over 1,000 people that were killed. That is hardly... Handshakes and smiles and, and everybody gets the girl. That's a lot of people in a day. And then um, 355 Canadian soldiers were killed on Juno, on D-Day. Uh, 197 Americans were killed on Utah. And then the hardest hit was uh, Omaha Beach, where we lost uh, 2,400 Americans approximately. So that's one day of fighting. And when that pisses me off when I hear people say, like um, like Kamala Harris has said that June 6th, not sorry, not June 6th, January 6th, the insurrection was the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War. First of all, that's insulting. And second of all, even you were smarter than that. But some of the people that were there, uh, I like to highlight because, again, these are real people with real families and, and real fear Real homesickness, real seasickness. Um, I've thought about that. Like we, that was like the basically the founding of frogmen, Navy SEALs, naval combat demolition units. Because you have to float. We still train the tactics too. By the way, you have a you have a a, a line like a not thicker than a fishing line with a big dive weight on it, and then every three feet you have a knot. And you measure the depth and you do dives so you can swim and you can find the lanes and find obstacles and blow them up. We still train that now just because some people in certain places, a lot, a lot of people have forgotten how to win and they just they like structure, but some people have not forgotten how to win. And that's just the realization of using lead lines and writing it down on a slate, knowing how to use a map and compass and knowing how to use the stars to navigate because when we get into the war's not going to be fought tank on tank again, people are just going to start turning off shit and we're going to lose a lot of things. And even though it's a flat earth and we don't have satellites, there will that's why we have the um, space war. Because when it turns into satellite war and you start shooting satellites down, um, that's when problems start communication and GPS. But so we would, uh, I said seasickness because we would train on these damn things and we're doing thousands of yards of beach and that's in 25 yard increments. So you, you know, you measure your depth, you write it on your slate, you dive down, look for obstacles, 25 more yards, you'd measure with your thing and you do to do. But, um, that is no fun because have you ever been in the ocean? If you're a surfer, probably, but if, have you ever been in the ocean long enough that you, you're in the water, you're floating, but now you're getting seasick? And it doesn't help that sometimes you can smell the diesel fuel from whatever boat you're using because we don't have electric zodiacs yet. We still use uh, we still use fuel, but yeah, the seasickness there. So um, th- th- a lot going on on D-Day, and one of the guys I want to highlight is cool. Uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt III is the eldest son of President Theodore Roosevelt, obviously. Uh, and he's known for his service in World War II, including directing troops at Omaha Beach during the landings on D-Day in the first wave. And that's not all, because there was a great war before World War II. They didn't call it World War I at the time, because who knew? But it was the Great War. So uh, he, uh, 
he gained pre-World War I Army experience during his attendance at Citizens Military Training Camp. So he had, you know, we're not at war, and he's in a, mil- a military training camp, so he, he, he got a little, um, a little uh, uh, experience. So at the start of, the se- of, the, of, sorry, of, of the start of World War I, he received a commission as a, a major. So now he's going to go into World War I. He served primarily with the 1st Division and took part in several engagements, inclu- including, I hope I pronounce this right, the Battle of Cantigny, which is, uh, again, trench warfare where you're trying to flank each other. And, like, these are wars where you're kind of calling in uh, artillery, going from trench to trench, and you don't have GPS, right? <laughs> so they did it in time, meaning you, you leave the trench, and I think you, you run for, uh, let's just call it a minute or two minutes, and then you got to get down again, and you're hoping that, you can stay with the artillery because they're hitting in front of you. And I don't know if you know how to use a slide rule, but I'm hoping the artillery guy, uh, I hope he's got his shit together as far as calculations because that's shady. Plus, they're getting gassed. You know, this is the uh, mustard gas and, and poisonous gas and all kinds of bad shit. So so um, he was in the Battle of Cantigny, and he commanded the 1st Battalion, 26th Infantry, as a lieutenant colonel. And uh, then he was instrumental in forming the American Legion. And the American Legion is uh, um, the leading role in drafting and passing the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, commonly known as the GI Bill. And we covered that in a p- couple podcasts ago um, about a lot of veterans that wanted their, wanted their benefits. Um, so that, you know, the, the members provide assistance at the, at the VA, the hospitals and clinics. And it's, it's with, with any kind of politics involving Veterans, the, the, the um, American Legion is there. So uh, let me read more about this. This, this is very impressive. you got to figure. So he just fought in World War I, and then he's helping with the American Legion. And uh, he was also um, served as the Assistant Secretary of the Navy. Not bad, 1921-1924. The governor of Puerto Rico from 1929 to 1932. Uh, the governor general of the Philippines. And then, you know we're not flying around in a lot of jets there. This guy's traveling. 1932 to 1933, and then uh, chairman of the board of American Express, uh, and then vice president of Double Bay Books. He remained an uh, in the Army Reserve, attending training in New York um, at Fort Drum. And after completing the infantry officer basing and advanced courses, the command and general staff college, and refresher training for senior officers, he returned to active duty for World War II with the rank of colonel. And he commanded the 26th Infantry. He soon received promotion to Brigadier General as Assistant Division Commander of the 1st Infantry Division. So after serving in the Operation Torch Landings, North Africa, World War II was fought in North Africa too, we got involved, uh, and the Tunisia Campaign, followed by participation in the Allied Invasion of Sicily. So now he's fighting two continents, couple different countries. Then he was assigned as assistant division commander of the 4th Infantry Division. In his role, get a load of this. One star, he led the first waves of, tro- of troops ashore at Utah Beach on June 6, 1944. Now, that is a bad dude. Um, very un- he, So for even G- General George Patton, they, and they didn't get along. I guess, I guess uh, Patton was known for not being e- easy to get along with, especially with other generals. And we'll do some patent stuff, too, because I said some stuff about him in uh, um, one of my previous, the bonus army things that he did in D.C. Uh, great commanding general in, in World War II. Did a lot of good stuff. Um, and, you know, he, like, lost a star, gained a star, all that stuff. But Patton did say that he, was, that, uh, he being um, General Roosevelt was the bravest man I've ever seen. For his actions on Utah Beach on June 6, 1944, he was recommended for the Distinguished Service Cross, which is the second highest award you can get. And unbelievably, um, he died in France in July. So about a month later, he died of a fatal heart attack. But he, um, he, it was his, his Distinguished Service Cross was upgraded to a Medal of Honor, the nation's highest award. And he's actually buried at Normandy. I saw his, uh, his, um, his cross in the cemetery, and it's got the Medal of Honor on it. So that's 
un-American right there. That guy, I mean, everything from managing successful companies to starting the American Legion to help vets and the VA and the GI Bill, fighting in World War I and World War II, but not just World War II. He fought in Africa, Sicily, and D-Day. And that's, that's, what, uh, that's what American needs. That's a leader right there. That's a great American from a great American family. Speaking of D-Day, I had a chance recently to talk to, at one of, one of my events for Special Operators Transition Foundation, SOTF.org, we help veterans tra- transition to the private sector, obviously, and that's a, a boy, you want to hire some people. That, check out SOTF.org, and that is, um, you're going to find good people, men and women. But I met at a golf event in Florida, and I don't get starstruck often. I, I you know, people are people. There's that whole saying, never meet your heroes, you know, and, you know, the stuff that the, the unspoken word is because they're, you're going to find out they're as fucked up as you are, but... I met Captain Norman Bill Schwartz, and I was starstruck by him because he survived. He was commanding a unit, uh, the first wave, first wave, at Dog Green Sector, Omaha Beach on D-Day. And I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about Captain Schwartz. And I was able to sit down with him and talk, and it's, it's one of those... I don't, you know, I don't want to be the guy to ask you the same question you've heard over and over, but, you know, the question asks itself. Dog Green Sector, Omaha Beach, first wave. He said something along the lines of he lost twenty three of his guys in the first five minutes. Something crazy, and you can see you can see the look in his eyes, and he even said, um, "I don't like violence, and I hate war. I hope there's never another war." But he echoed something that I even said earlier in this podcast. It's even he's, and it was, it's a different time, a different war than it is now. And there's different ideologies. But he said that some of the Germans were our enemy in name and uniform only. And uh, we were all just sent there to fight because of people who would never see death. And it's crazy to hear that from him. And just to be in the presence of someone who, who was on that beach on that day, um, humbling and they call them the greatest generation for a reason but uh, I bring up D-Day because it seems pretty far away the horrors that people had to go through and the loss in order to to gain back captured land by actual fascists the Nazis and they just throw that word around too now if you, if you disagree with the 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 popular line in mainstream media and what people are forcing down your throat throw it with the same language and you're a Nazi, and I don't think that's the case. I think Nazis were bad, but we 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 uh, have a way of making just because something happened more recently doesn't mean it was worse. The comparison of January sixth, that you know they just the the attack on democracy worse than civil war. We talked about that. John Kerry. Who you know and love. He's he's one of the um, non-elected diplomats who has a lot more power than you think. Said he he's comparing climate change to D-Day. Uh, obviously, man-made climate change to D-Day, which is a religion. It's it it's um anything where they're saying, well, the science is proven, the science is not proven. The science might be regurgitated by scientists who will get paid for it. I'm not a scientist. Um, I mean, Plymouth Rocks at the same depth that it was when the pilgrims landed there the seas haven't risen and there was i mean uh al gore said something like, well they're very very good at rewording what they say because they said something along the lines that the uh, the uh i the north pole ice caps would be gone in by 2013 or some shit like that back back when he um inconvenient truth of global warming but then they changed that to to climate change it can't be global warming because now we can say everything is is um is a result of climate change like the the huge fire right now in in canada that's blowing um smoke all over the northeast new york to philly and they're saying climate change is, is a reason for that well uh who knows but you know in the 70s it was gonna it was it was global cooling that was gonna be a problem and the next ice age and everybody knew that but uh a lot i mean i think a lot of the the what i have read and i'm not a scientist 
a lot of these forest fires are getting worse simply because we won't clear cut. We don't clean up the forest. And I, I, don't, I do know this about nature. Nature will eventually take care of itself. And the way that Mother Nature takes care of a dirty forest is she burns it. So lightning strike. Now, it was pretty coincidental that a lot of these st- fires were started at the same time in different spots. And there is fire. I saw smoke the other day. And obviously some very funny memes and or gifs. Is it gif or gif? Please correct me, at Mikuya. It's a G-I-F. Is it a gif or a gif? I, I, maybe I just call one of my kids. But um, so the, the, these, these climate people, that, that's a really good way to control the populace. You got to figure, they've been teaching the end of the world to the there's a generation right now that have been being taught in school for two straight decades that life as they know it is going to change and they're all going to die because of this climate change to the point where um look at some of these protests i mean a lot of the protests we used to call riots it's not just sitting outside of your congressman's office they're like stopping traffic there's people getting paid to organize this stuff social media doesn't help trying to destroy uh classic works of art and stopping in front of trains um and you've seen the um like the dudes that glue themselves to stuff and then they stop the the um traffic and uh yeah that's just that's just crazy and then and and it's this is all being directed by a bunch of elites in the world economic forum which to me is i say the world economic economic forum is uh <laughs> there's there was at this year in davos there was at least 150 private jets that flew there so you're telling me a bunch of elites eating Caviar and very rare Kobe beef flying on private jets can change the weather. And, and there are people that believe this because it's a scare tactic. So, I mean, um, spe- special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, he was defending business and government leaders who travel in these private jets to high-profile climate summits on gas-guzzling gu- private jets. He said... He took issue with criticism leveled against leaders who fly on private jets, despite lofty climate ambitions, saying those individuals are working harder than most to fight climate change. He also uh, echoed the argument defending private jet travel that he has previously used, uh, saying that so-called carbon offsets justify high-carbon footprint travel. They offset... This is a quote. They offset. They buy offsets. They offset. And they're working harder than most people that I know to be able to try to affect this transition. He, uh, he was saying something like that. He noted that he's spoken about private jet travel and carbon offsets with attendees at the World Economic Forum, an annual sub, a summit in Davos in Switzerland, like I said, where they, they show up and they laugh about, you know, one of those super secret meetings where you really can't, you're not invited. But 150 jets went there. Uh, John Kerry's family private... Um, Private jet emitted over 300 metric tons of carbon since Joe Biden took office. Now, um, I don't really know the definition of a metric ton of emissions. And I, I mean, a carbon offset, I guess, for every mile you fly, you plant a tree or something like that. And so this uh, World Economic Forum in Davos, is, uh, it's uh, notable politicians, civil society representatives, World leaders, business leaders, religious leaders, academic leaders, journalists, investors, and celebrities, because Hollywood knows about climate change. Um, and but you'll notice though that this is this common verbiage. This is the globalization where it's not just the Biden administration. It's a lot of places that keep saying, "Build back better." And I think if they tell you that enough, if 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 something is forced down your throat enough, you only know what you're taught. And these, I, I feel bad for the kids in school that don't have a choice climate change is this the vaccines are this and the lockdowns are this and it's for your best interest and the founder of the world economic forum and you may have he's getting pretty famous now klaus schwab he's kind of one of those guys that was sort of in the you know when they say who's really pulling the strings it's probably going to be him i don't know him not trying to talk shit he's a he's an engineer and economist and the founder of the world economic forum which uh, he has acted as the uh World Economic Forum's chairman since founding the organization in 1971. That is a long-ass time. I was born in 1976, and I feel like it's taken forever. Um, but what they're saying at the World Economic Forum is it's gaining ground, and it's a great reset of capitalism. So that's you've heard the great reset, and they're not even really keep, keeping it a secret anymore, and you got to be careful because uh, like the great reset is like from Education to uh, social contracts, 
reminiscent of the new world order based on solidarity and sharing. And we saw how well we all share because remember toilet paper? We're not sharing anything. Every man for himself. The, uh, it's, they call it economic equality, but they're going to change the words around a little bit. That means spread the wealth. And that doesn't just mean it starts with pay your fair share, but then all of a sudden it's countries like us giving money to Yemen for climate change. What the hell is that? How is, how is your taxpayer money going to stop climate change? And uh, well, you got to watch the language because they'll turn it into something that you think you're going to like, modern monetary theory, and then they'll keep rebranding it. They keep calling it something else. Global cooling, global warming, climate change. Um, I was first introduced to this because I listened, I try to listen to every side. I, I read as many books as I can, and uh, I do listen to Glenn Beck. I like him quite a bit. What I love about what Glenn Beck says is don't take my word for it. Do the research. And he's good at selling books because I bought his audio book. But then um, he always says to buy the buy the the hard copy too so you can highlight it or, or look at all his footnotes, which is clever as shit because um, I did both, which means I bought his book twice, which is pretty funny. But uh, using crisis all the time, you, you always hear him say never let a, a, a catastrophe or a crisis uh, go to waste. So I don't know if Glenn came up with this, but there were four rules for using crisis to your political and personal power benefit. Number one, establish a flexible timeline, but not far enough for anyone not to care. So it's going to happen in 10 years, maybe 15 years. Then come up with a solution. Number three is create a consensus, and they just need to be experts that agree on a few things. And like I mentioned before, dishonest scientists will lie for funding and then constantly shift your prediction. And you can see him defending it now. We said something about 2013. Oh, no, no. I didn't say that. I was quoting scientists who said that. And when you're wrong, make a new prediction and then repeat steps one, two, and three. And uh, again, I I read that in Glenn Beck's book. I'm trying to give him credit. But something else that's mentioned is is like the Greta Thunberg, uh, the girl that was... Yelling at everyone, um, how dare you? you? I should be in school, but now I'm sailing around the earth. But imagine, like, you only know what you're taught. Imagine if being told your entire life the world's going to violently end and we're all going to die. Unless, like, you, you um, a, a growing share of civilization thinks we're all going to die because of climate change, because cows are farting, because of uh, fuel, because of drilling. Everything is uh, 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 natural gas. And we're going to make everything, I mean, even thinking about all the, um, the windmills and solar panels that they want to put everywhere, I mean, how much of the land would be destroyed because of that? And we know, we, I mean, look what's happening to the dolphins and the, uh, and the whales off the New Jersey coast. They're just, for why are they just beaching themselves? Are they just dying for something else? In 2020 in the UK, they pulled 2,000 children between the ages of 8 and 16 and they said one in five kids are having nightmares about climate change. What are we teaching these kids? But the problem is going to be when um, when we start restricting ourselves, even though we have the cleanest ways to drill and the cleanest ways to do everything, instead we're buying gas from Venezuela. It's I mean, it's the same planet. They're getting it dirtier. Why aren't we doing it? I mean, drilling our own and getting our own energy does nothing but help every single American. It helps It helps America. It helps the West. It takes a lot of the chokehold off from OPEC. And if there, when there is a strong America and a strong alliance, there's a safer world. And a lot of it is drilling. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but the other stuff are just fantasies. I can't rem- A lot of these leftists, I can't remember one of their ideas that worked. There are climate change uh, grief support groups. That the people are questioning whether or not to have kids because of climate change. I mean, y- you can't even get an honest answer. You can't even say where COVID came from. Is climate change man-made or do climates just change? Is the earth getting warmer or is the sun growing? Is it getting hotter? Even though the flat earthers will say that, I don't know how they worked out. I've been, I, I'm going to watch some more of that Instagram tonight, though. But there, there's a, a also, again, from footnotes, from books, from Glenn Beck's book, uh, New York Magazine, David Wallace Wells wrote an op-ed, I guess, called The Uninhabitable Earth. And I'm just touching a little bit of his quote. It is, I promise, worse than you think. You're barely scratching the surface of the terror to possible. 
fleeing the coastline will not be enough. But if if we're if the the ice caps are melting and we're all moving from the coastline, why are all the rich people still buying islands? Wouldn't I don't know. It's like I heard somebody say one time, I remember when I had uh, an ice cube in my glass of water and it melted and it f- flooded my whole house. But it's apocalyptic. And they're t- they're talking the worst stuff imaginable, starvation and heat deaths and and you know, roaming the earth in search of whatever of food, but this is this is what they uh a lot of people in order to control, they love they love the COVID, they love the mass, they love the vaccines, and they can keep you in control. And the problem is everybody listens, not everybody, but most people listen. Look at the crap we fell for in 2020. And the weirdest part was people like Rage Against the Machine were yelling about people not getting vaccinated. If you're agreeing with everything the machine tells you to do, that's not exactly raging against them. But they just do do what they're told. And, you know, everything that the World Economic Forum is doing is going to – it's, it's – it's, um, it's trickling down like they want financial penalties for farmers and ranchers because they want to control the food. If you control the food, you can control the population. Credit scores. Did you see that thing about the credit scores? That the better the credit score you have now, the worse you get treated, the more you get fined because of equity. And equity is a word they're teaching as if it's a good thing. Equity means we're all even as a, at the, the end result. It, it should mean you are even at the beginning, and then where you go, the pursuit of happiness, that whole thing. But they're not doing that. There's a thing called um, credit scores that are going to be based on environmental, social, and corporate governance, ESG. And that's, uh, you, you know, you're, how much can you borrow? I mean, there's theories out there right now that a lot of these companies are going woke because of the behind-the-scene lenders. If you don't go woke enough because these rich, white, liberal bankers with white guilt feel bad, they needed to go woke and will no longer be lending you. That's the theories I'm hearing. I am not a... Um, I am not a politician and I am not an economist. Like I said, I can carry a sledgehammer, a gun, I can shoot straight, and I know a computer guy. But, I, you know, just to uh, referring back to you, I'm a tangent. I'm, I, I got notes here and I'm sort of looking at them. And I could be wrong. Again, at Mikuya on Instagram and Twitter or at The Operator Podcast. And I do read most of the comments. On Twitter, if you're a dick, I don't even block you. I just mute you, and you never know. You just shout at the space. But uh, I was watching um, uh, Nancy Pelosi threw a, a pitch out. Speaking of California, I bet I bet there are people living in her district that don't even know she's their congressperson. She threw the first pitch out at a Nationals game the other day. 83 years old. I was actually impressed. Not bad. She did a hell of a lot better than 50 Cent did. You see that throw? Look that up. Actually, if you're bored. Um, and you will be in about five minutes when this podcast is over. Um, <clears throat> start to Google um, first pitch uh, bloopers. <laughs> there's some there's some funny ones. I I uh, I've thrown out three first pitches, and I put the first two in the dirt. One at Wrigley, one in Phoenix, and then I I threw one over the plate in in. Um, in Boston at Fenway, which was cool because I actually did uh, – I did – before I threw out the first pitch, I uh, I warmed up. The first one I was cocky in Chicago. We were sitting right behind the owner of the Cubs, and we're going to go to two or three games in a row. I was with Shorty, my boy Shorty. He was he lived in Chicago at the time. Wrigley Field, awesome, by the way. If you haven't been, bucket list. But we're sitting behind the owner of the Cubs because I, I finagled us into some really good seats. And um, you, Shorty and I pre-gamed a little bit at the bar across the street, and then we had some, some hefty – hefty drinks at the game so i was talking a little bit of shit to the um to the owner saying man you should have me out there throwing the first pitch i got a i got a cannon for an arm and um i whatever and then we came back the next day same seats and he he told me hey you're throwing out the first pitch i'm glad you're early i'm like oh shit can i warm up and he says oh no i thought you had a cannon so i put that in the dirt i tommy o'neill my brother has it still that one it still got some of the dirt on it but uh, and then I put one in um, at uh, in Arizona. But then I was at Fenway, and they did let me warm up. And my friend Tony Larusa said, a baseball legend, he said, "No one has ever been booed for throwing it over the catcher." So on the mound, and if you throw a pitch out, you got to get up on the mound. Don't pull that. Sh- I mean, Nancy Pelosi was eighty three years old. She was a little ahead, but she did throw. I'm saying it wasn't necessarily a strike, but it was. Um, it was a high curveball, but I I I threw my I tried to throw it over. Dustin Pedroia was catching. I remember that. My wife tried to calm me down. I brought her out to the mound with me, and she's nervous as shit. She's like, "Don't worry, no one's looking." 
I'm on the mound at Fenway for an afternoon televised Sunday game. I'm like, honey, everyone's fucking looking. So anyway, we chucked that one, finally got one. So two balls, one strike so far. Looking forward to doing that again. So um, if you, uh, that's, that's sort of my take on a lot of things, a lot of politics, obviously. It's always an election season right now. You're going to be hearing about uh, you're gonna, the pundits on every side, man. If you want a little entertainment, flip around the stations, go to the liberal stations, go to the conservative stations, listen to the uh, the people all yell about each other. Catch one of those uh, MSNBC where they have like eight people on a panel, all split screen talking heads. Just listen to uh, Unhinged. Watch The View. <laughs> get differing opinions. If you can get differing opinions... And res- not don't resort to name calling. Not everybody's a Nazi. If you can carry a sledgehammer and a gun, and you know a good computer guy, you're never out of the fight. <laughs>